Lord, on this day in which we celebrate all saints, we rejoice in our Savior, Jesus Christ, for he is the one who makes us holy. It is through the blood of the Lamb that we are washed clean, that we stand before you, sins forgiven, claim to be your children. And so, Lord, teach us to live lives as holy people, serving you and our neighbor and rejoicing ever in your forgiveness and your peace and your joy. Bless us now as we study your word in John 5. May these words written long ago point us once again to our Savior Jesus to trust in him as our only Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so John chapter 5. Remember, Jesus is in trouble. Why is Jesus in trouble? He's not following the law because he's working on the Sabbath. And what did he do to work on the Sabbath? He healed a man. How dare you heal a man and tell him to get up and carry his mat around, right? How dare you break the Sabbath? So, um, that is actually a violation of Sabbath law, or at least the rabbinic Sabbath, Sabbath law. And so they are asking him, how dare he do that? And it's not just because he's a Jewish person that, how dare he do this, but who is he claiming to be as he walks around? <laughs> he claims to be equal to God. He claims to be the Messiah. He claims to be the Son of Man. And they're saying, well, the Messiah would certainly not break the Torah. So how do you reconcile these things? And what's his answer? Do you remember? Right, my father's working. So I'm working. And they said, so are you you're saying you're equal to God? And he says, well, that's what the father says. Right? So this is what we're reading through now, is Jesus' defense against these charges and how he is going to work through their accusations of how dare you do this. Now, remember, we talked last week about how the way the, the text is structured from John is structured very much like a law case. And the way that Jesus is giving defense, it's almost as though it's in a formal law setting, which is kind of weird because we don't have any questions of the Jews in between these little statements of Jesus. We just kind of have the beginning question, this long testimony from Jesus, which is very, um, the way I can, I can only explain that the way it's structured would, would make you think this is a, a case where he's being defended in a court of law. But there's no, the Jews don't get to keep asking questions. Does that make sense? It's like a defense with no questions. There's just one question that's long defense. Okay? Now, I don't think they actually are in a court or something like that. It's just the way it's structured, this defense. Okay? Any questions from last week or any other week that you've been wanting to ask? Okay, let's read John chapter 5, verses 30 through 36. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness born witness to the truth 
not that the excuse me not that the testimony that I receive is from man but I say these things so that you may be saved he was burning that shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice and for a while in his light but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Okay, thank you very much. All right. I'm all distracted, sorry. What is Jesus' state of humiliation? What a weird question. Why do I ask weird questions? I don't know. What is his state of humiliation? Okay, submission to the Father. That's part of it. But how do we define the state of humiliation of Christ? Jesus comes and he and he he functions in two states. He denies humanity. Well, he doesn't deny it, but that's close. That's close. In the state of humiliation, he voluntarily refrains from the full use of his divine nature. Okay? So what does that mean? Does he have a divine nature in a state of humiliation? Yes. 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 Is he fully divine in the state of humiliation? Yes. Yes. But he voluntarily refrains from the full use of that nature. Okay? What's the most obvious way you see this happening? He died. Okay? Remember, can God die? No. You would naturally say no. And yet, Jesus dies. He still has a divine nature when he dies. He doesn't get rid of his divine nature in order to die. Right? Well, that's an important one. Some people taught in the history of the church, some people taught that at the cross, Jesus got rid of his divine nature in order to die. Okay? Seminarians present, what heresy teaches that Jesus got rid of his divine nature at the cross and only appeared to be the Christ? Wasn't Arianism. No, Arianism was that he was, he was created. Called Docetism. Docetism. Where Jesus, Jesus gets rid of his divine nature, okay? And so what happens is, in a state of humiliation, when Jesus does things like he gets hungry, he gets thirsty, he gets tired, in the Gospel of Matthew, he doesn't know the date of the second coming, right? All those things will say, well, he's God. How could God get hungry? And the answer is... In the state of humiliation, Jesus voluntarily refrains from the full use of his divine nature. It's still there, but he, does, he, he voluntarily says, I'm not going to use it. Okay? Can you define the state of humiliation? Is that like a Good. period? So the state of humiliation is... In the Apostles' Creed, which we confessed this morning, this is actually explicitly laid out for you. Okay? There are five stages in the state of humiliation. I always draw this wrong. 
okay? And it is conceived and born. Okay, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Was crucified. Died. And was buried. Okay? Those are the states, stages of the state of humiliation. Now, what that means is he enters into the state of humiliation at the time of his incarnation. But, now hold on. The the state of humiliation is not the same as his incarnation. The timing is similar, but it's not identical to it because right now, what state did Jesus exist in? The exaltation, the state of exaltation, is he still incarnate? Yes. Okay? So he's still incarnate, but now he's in a state of exaltation. So although the timing of the beginning of the state of humiliation is in concert with the incarnation, it is not identical to the incarnation. The timing is the same, but it's not the same thing. So do not think in your head, humiliation equals incarnation. That doesn't work. But that is the same time when it begins. Okay, so what this means is when Jesus was in the womb of Mary, he was voluntarily refraining from the full use of his divinity. Otherwise, God could not be born or grow. Okay, does that make sense? Well, that makes sense, but do you follow? It doesn't make any sense, but do, do you follow? Okay. So, the state of humiliation is between his incarnation and his... It's right before the... It ends before the resurrection. The resurrection begins the state of exaltation. But not the resurrection from the dead like you're thinking of it. The actual first stage of exaltation is... Descent into hell. Okay, he descended into hell. Oh boy, there's all kinds of extra letters there. The descent into hell is the first stage of the state of exaltation because he does not go to hell to suffer, but to proclaim victory. victory. Okay, so the first state of exaltation is the descent into hell. Now, what does this mean? It means the state of exaltation then is... If humiliation is a voluntary refrain from the full use of his divine nature, what's exaltation? Right. The state of exaltation is the full use of his divine nature. Is Jesus immortal? He is now. The one who died is immortal. What? Is he eternal? Yes. I thought he was begotten of the Father. Yes. Right? See, that's exactly right. Oh, but yes. He is he is eternal. Okay? Is Jesus omnipresent? Yes. Say that again. Is Jesus omnipresent? Is he everywhere? Yes. At once. Yes. No. In the in the state of exaltation? Yes. 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 You, you, human nature, no. 
What? He still has a human nature. But it's not according to his. Is is Jesus present everywhere according to his human nature? No. In the state of exaltation? Yes. Yes. Otherwise, you don't have the Lord's Supper. This is called the Gatus Maestaticum. Welcome. It gets weirder. But we have to learn Latin to get all those weird things. Susan. You don't. <laughs> well, because nobody does. You can't, you can't understand it. You can just say it. <laughs> so you're telling me that yes. Jesus, not God the Father, Jesus himself descends into hell on his own. Yes. You said it in the creed this morning. I heard you. You were right in the same pew I was, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Then he raises himself from the dead. Yeah. Okay. He's God. He has. He actually does have a divine nature. So this does not depend on the Father taking care of us and doing these things. No, but the Father is totally cool with it all. Right. Because it's his. I mean, it's, it's they're one, right? There's only one God. Here we go again. Here we go again, right? <laughs> we cool? All right. So, this is humiliation. This is exaltation. <clears throat> Descends into hell. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. Sits at the right hand. And he's coming back to. Okay? That's the state of exaltation. State of humiliation, state of exaltation is in the creed. So, in the state of exaltation, full use of his divine nature. State of humiliation, voluntarily refrain from the full use of his <coughs> divine nature. Okay? So, when he says, I only do my Father's will, what does that mean? He's not using his divinity. Right. He's saying, I don't care what I will. I'm going to submit myself to the Father's will. So here's a fun thing. In the state of humiliation, whose will is he, or in the state of exaltation, whose will is he doing? His own. Are exactly the same. Here's the thing. If in the state of humiliation Jesus would have done his own will instead of his Father's will, what would we have done? He would have done the exact same thing he did. Is Jesus' will contrary to the Father's will in the state of humiliation? No. No. <laughs> but he could have chosen though to use his human. If he Jesus would have his... What's that? He could have if he he could have chosen though to use his human nature on the cross and still voluntarily but at the <coughs> but isn't it like he's choosing in this state mm -hmm. to do that so if he chose that he could have theoretically chose that on the cross right so what if he chose to follow his human will on the cross well how about at the garden he says or at the garden well, right. your will 
Exactly. Okay, so what you see is, even in the state of humiliation, Jesus' will is to do his Father's will. Why do, why do the Gospels teach us this? To confuse us. To confuse us. <laughs> so that we will do God's will. No. What's that? So that we will do God's will. And yes. So, exact, so there's two reasons. The first thing is, because you don't do the Father's will, He needs to do it as part of his vicarious atonement, as, for, as to fulfill the law on your behalf, right? So, so one reason he does it is because he's fulfilling the law on your behalf. So when you die and God says, in order to, get to, in, in order to be saved, you have to have only and always done my will, you can say... Check. Jesus did that. Right? In order to be saved, you have to fulfill the law of Moses. And you say, Jesus did that. Right? In order to fulfill the law, in order to be saved, you have to have never sinned. And you say, Jesus did that. Okay? So part of the reason Jesus comes in the state of humiliation to do only the Father's will is to fulfill the Father's will. On your behalf. Okay? So when you are in Christ, when you're baptized into Christ, when you hear the word and are saved and believe, when you receive the Lord's Supper, you're actually receiving from God the righteousness of Christ as a gift. Does that make sense? It's in the reading today. Who are these that are in white robes before the throne? And it, Well, these are they who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. See, they're not there. Well, they got their own white robes so they stole them from the, the hotel. No, they're there in the white robes because they've been washed in the blood of the lamb. See, the blood of the lamb is the righteousness of Jesus put upon you through your baptism. Right? That's your hope of salvation. Not what you have done, but the blood of the lamb. What he has done. And that's why this is so important. Is he comes in the state of humiliation to assume upon himself every aspect of you that needs to be saved. This was a mantra in the early church as they wrote the Nicene Creed. That which is not assumed is not redeemed. Okay, So that which Christ did not take upon himself would not be saved. So, did he have a mind like yours? A human mind? Yes. Did he have a human body like yours? Yes. Did he have a will like yours? Yes. In every way, he's like you, except he never sinned. But how could he have a mind like ours if it thinks a bad thought which is awful? So he never... So he had a mind like ours, but it never thought a bad thought. Can you imagine Jesus as a teenager and never having yes, a sinful that's thought? That's what I know. That's what I know. That's why they skipped over that. Like I can, yes. I can, yeah. I mean, it's like what? And you're telling me his parents didn't notice there was something different about this kid? They should have noticed that at twelve. Yeah, yeah. They had a good clue at twelve. They're like, um, okay. I just, I just think that's phenomenal. Yeah. 
as you're teaching confirmation, as you're doing youth group, you look at the kids and you go, Jesus was your age and he never had a sinful thought, let alone a sinful action. What? Really? And that's why, Karen, what you just said is... Do you put an equal sign there? Yes. Yes. No, because yes. Jesus was human and didn't sin. Exactly. You can't say that human nature is original sin. Because Jesus has a human nature and yet is without sin. He was born without original sin. Okay? Now, is your human nature without sin? No. Because concupiscence, best word in the world. <laughs> concupiscence, now, 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 this, this is the test of whether or not you're Lutheran, believe it or not. Concupiscence is the word that determines this. Is concupiscence simply the temptation to sin, or is it sin itself? Which one did you inherit from your parents? The temptation to sin or sin itself? This is the Augsburg Confession. Concupiscence is not just the temptation to corruption. It's the actual corruption. See, human nature is not equal to sin. But our human nature that we have inherited is entirely corrupted by original sin. So that there's nothing in us without Christ's redemption that is without sin. See, our natures have been completely corrupted. Okay? You can look this up. It's in the Oxford Confession. Oh boy. Two Scott. things. First of all, Christ himself was tempted. Yes, in every way. Right. And, and, and secondly... Uh, when you were talking about his will versus the Father's will, uh-huh. in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh-huh. he said, let this come pass from me, but, but not my will, which was to let it go. Well, maybe. Well, then he kinda, I would read it. Well, yeah, except for well, you can't ignore the entire narrative of the gospel that got him to that point, which is he's in Luke chapter 9. That's from the gospel of Luke, by the way, where he's praying in the garden and all that. That's explicitly in Luke. It's also in Matthew, and it is mentioned in the other gospels, but explicitly in Luke where you really think about it, and Matthew. And in, and in both those gospels, in Luke and Matthew where that's mentioned, he also says that the reason he came is to die. So everything that he does is to get to the cross and die. So it would be contrary to his will to say that his will is to not suffer, because his entire life is to suffer. So you can't really say that all of a sudden in this prayer, he's changing his mind, doesn't want to do what he came to do. You see what I'm saying? So I don't think it's really a correct reading to say that his will is actually to not go to the cross. I think he's just kind of checking in and going, seriously, is there any other way? Because it would be better if there's... He still wants to do what he was sent to do, which is save sinners. That's what he wants to do. He's just kind of checking with the Father to say, because hmm. this is going to hurt. And not just physically. This is going to be anguish. And Jesus is saying, is there another way? And God says, no way. 
That's the way. Okay? We'll do Luke sometime. We'll, we'll deal with all that and Matthew. But we'll do Luke sometime. It'll be more fun. Okay? After we finish John. Yes, after we finish John. So, so we are born in, in sin with sin. So would, would it be okay to say that the temptation is to sin is the devil working in us on that yeah. So, so whenever you face temptation to sin, or whenever you do sin, you don't, you don't. Um, hmm, how it is? It's the devil, the world, and sin, and your own sinful flesh that are all warring against God's will for you, always, constantly. But so you, if I wasn't born in such a state of sin, my flesh wouldn't be tempting me to sin. Right. You would, you would not have... So it's really the devil... But you are born with a corrupted human nature, so it is your flesh that is warring against you. Um, I mean, you can, you can reject the premise of reality, but then it's not real. So, I mean, you're right. In, in many ways, you're right. And that's, and that's why I'm saying this is, a Luth, this is kind of a Lutheran question, because um, other church bodies will say, no, we're not entirely corrupted. Concupiscence is just a weakness but there's still some goodness in you, and therefore, Christ simply died so that that goodness in you can win over the sinfulness part of you, and that when you learn to live your life according to that goodness in you, then God will say, oh good, look at you. I'm so happy with you. That plus Jesus will get you into heaven, right? I mean, that's actually what they say. I'm not kidding. That's actually the basis of Roman Catholicism. Is that there's, yes, you fan the flame, the spark of goodness that is still in you. And Thomas Aquinas actually talks about this explicitly, okay, in Roman Catholic theology, that there's still a little bit of goodness in this. <coughs> and that concupiscence is simply the, t- the constant temptation to not follow the goodness, but to, to follow sin. How and, do they say that when they say not, no one is good, not even one? What they'll say is everyone's that corrupted, that we're all tempted to follow that. But we read that as actually being true like it just it just means we're all corrupted right we're just dead in our sins Ephesians 2 we're dead in our trespasses so we read it as meaning original sin is actually a sin that we inherit and remember when there are two kinds of sin in your life this is all introduction by the way there are two kinds of sin in your life you are guilty of two kinds of sin you are guilty of original sin which is a sin that you inherit. But you're also guilty of actual sin, which is a sin that you actually commit or don't commit because you're supposed to commit. Okay? So and under actual sin, there are sins of omission and commission. Okay? Omission are the things that you don't do that you're supposed to do. And commission is when you do the things that you're not supposed to do. Okay? So what happens is you can say, you can say, oh, I think that original sin stuff is, that's not fair. How can God hold me guilty? Right? God can't hold me guilty of what Adam did or what my mom did or whatever. But, the, but then the law comes back and says, that's nice. But then explain why you constantly sin in total agreement with the original sin that you've inherited. And then once again, we are justly condemned. Right? 
And as Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay? And that's the gospel. The gospel is not that I'm not doing great. I need a little bit of boost. No, the gospel is starts with the premise that I am nothing. I have nothing to contribute in a positive way. All I bring before God is my sin. And God walks into that reality and says, you are loved and you are saved because of my action for you in Jesus Christ. And nothing else. Well, what do I have to do to get that? Nothing. It's free. It's yours. Right? That's the gospel. That's the New Testament. That's the good news. Okay? Yep. Really struggle with that piece of original sin. I know. Billions of people are yep. going to be condemned yep. for the action of one man. Yep. We don't get to undo it. It says, okay, well, let's go. You guys, yeah. we're never going to get to John 5 at this point. <laughs> Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And, and this is just, this is not submitted for your approval. <laughs> this is just the Word of God, right? And, and that actually is important to read. We don't read Scripture going, well, if you like it, it's true. But if you don't, just ignore it. You don't get to do that with Scripture. This is the Word of God. So if He says something you don't like, who has to change? I do. Not Him. Right? And that, this is one of those passages where somebody just don't like it. But we still got to read it. So look at chapter 5, verse 12 and following. Romans 5, 12 and following. Therefore... And we'll talk about the therefore is therefore some other time. Just as sin came into the world through one man, who's that? Adam. Adam. And death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was sin, and sin was ever. Okay, forget all that. Okay, skip the next part. Okay, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For, uh, for if... Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gifts of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. See, that's why we say it. We have to. It's, it's what the scriptures teach. And no, I don't like it and I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to my human brain. But it is the testimony of Scripture. Right? It is. And not just here. This is just where it's, it's most clear.
but it's throughout the scriptures that the result of Adam's sin is death for all people. And all are condemned. Right? You think of Psalm 51? Surely in sin did my mother conceive me. Right? And that's, who wrote that? King David. A man after God's own heart. Okay? And yet he was conceived and born in sin. And it doesn't mean that his mom was sinning when she conceived him, like she was doing something naughty. That's what I thought I meant when I was growing up. It actually means that, that he was sinful at the moment of conception. Now, here's the weird thing. The same book has this passage. I praise you because I have fearfully and wonderfully made. You knit me, knit me together by my mother's womb. All your works are glorious. So we have this tension, right? We always have this tension between human nature is a good creation of God. Right? And still is. And yet, at the same time, it's entirely corrupted with sin. And so we confess these two seemingly contradictory truths. We just confess them at the same time because that's exactly how Scripture does it. Okay? But the death and re- the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Christ makes us deny the idea, and some have taught this in the history, even in the Lutheran Church, some have taught that our human sin, human nature is original sin. And we say, no. no, because, as you said, Jesus has a human nature and yet is without sin. sin. Right? I've been telling you for years now, you're going to believe me eventually, that all good theology, you just take it to the cross and to see if it works, right? Take it to the death, resurrection of Christ, the incarnation, his resurrection, his ascension, and say, does it work? And if Jesus says, that doesn't work, then it's bad theology. You want to go with what Jesus does, right? Always. Okay, that was number one. We're going to get through the whole sheet. No, we're not. <laughs> Any other questions? Does that help at all? Yeah. Michelle. Why wasn't Eve considered? Was she just the tempter then? No, um, we just haven't talked about Eve yet. Um, the, the, constant, mm, the constant witness of the New Testament to Eve's role is that she was deceived. Okay. So. I know. He, he just said this on Friday. Yes. Right? It was Friday, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Friday. Well, yeah, he was, just, he was just prepping me. She was, well, um, so in 1 Timothy and also in 2 Corinthians, um, I think 2 Corinthians 9, is that right? I think it's 2 Corinthians 9. Um, Eve is the one who was deceived and through whom all this kind of came. Um and that's a whole different narrative, but but Eve was all, was the one that was deceived. Okay. Yeah, Rob and I just talked about this yesterday, so we're gonna refrain from this whole discussion. Yes, exactly. Eat your vegetables. Eat your vegetables. Okay, number two. Who should who should we believe about Jesus? Jesus. 
follow what Jesus says, but who is, who is he presenting here as people you should listen to? Okay, good. He's going to say, there are four witnesses that are going to testify about him. John the Baptist, John the baptizing John, right? God the Father, Jesus' own works, and, yeah, kind of, not yet. The scripture. He's going to say, these are the things that you can look at and believe them on what they testify about me. You can believe John the Baptist. He spoke the truth about me. You can believe the Father because everything I do, I do because I saw the Father doing it and it's all according to his will. You can believe the works that I'm doing because they are the works that the Father sent me to do and I'm doing them in fulfillment of his will to send me to do them. And you can believe the Holy Scriptures because they are written about me. Now remember, Holy Scripture at this point is the Old Testament. Now, looking at that, what does this mean for us? Uh, How do I ask this? What this means is, I'm just going to, instead of asking, I'm just going to tell you. These are all equal. They're all equal. Okay? So now, you can read every, well, we won't go to that lecture. That's a whole different thing. But, when you read the Gospel of John, he is doing this for a reason. Because he is going to, at the end of his Gospel, change the list a little bit. He's going to say, You can believe this guy who is echoed in Thomas because in the second half of the gospel there is no John the Baptist. He's done in chapter 10. In chapter 11 we meet a twin called Thomas who will be the one who testifies to the truth of who Jesus is when he finally says to Jesus in John 20 verse 28, my Lord and my God, you can believe him to be a faithful witness. That's the correct way to talk about Jesus. Right? The Father will continue to be his, the witness. Jesus' works are going to culminate there. And this is the big one. <coughs> Scripture now is going to include Jesus' words and the writing of the, one, the beloved disciple who was an eyewitness of these things. His writing is now the same authority as the Old Testament. That's what he wants you to believe. Because remember, these things are written by him so that by reading them you may believe. And through believing you get eternal life. Now, look at John chapter 5. That's where we're supposed to be, right? Verse 39. I know, it's not fair. Because that's, we're, we're still on number one, really. But we're just pretending. So 539. You search the scriptures because you think that in them 
you have eternal life, right? Well, where do you look for eternal life now? According to the end of the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. John's saying, you read these words, you get life. The Old Testament Scriptures give you life because they're about Jesus. My Gospel gives you life because it's about Jesus. You see what John is saying? That the, the, the words that you're supposed to believe are indeed the Old Testament Scriptures, yes. And in concert with these Old Testament Scriptures are Jesus' words and His Gospel. John's Gospel. That's actually what he's trying to get you to understand by the end of the Gospel. You can trust this book. It's entirely in line with the Old Testament Scriptures, with the Father's testimony, Jesus' own words. It is Scripture itself. It is Holy Scripture. And guess what? The church accepted it that way immediately. They received it from John and said, this can be read in worship. This is the word of God. And and someone said, you mean like those other three books that are floating around that have a similar story but not quite as good? He said, yeah. (laughs) Okay, and that's what happened is immediately the church said, Matthew's account is true, Mark's account is true, Luke's account is true, and John's account is true. Those are our Gospels. And they put them together in a volume and sent them around to all the churches that could afford to have it. Okay? And immediately this became circulated as the four Gospels and the only four Gospels. You never have another gospel attached to these four, ever, until 1978, something like that. But never in the history of the church do you have another gospel associated with these four. It's only and always these four. Okay? In 1978, some scholars sat down and added the Gospel of Thomas, and they made the five gospels, just because they were trying to be cool. It was just lame. Don't quote me on the date. I can't remember exactly what date it was published. You could look it up, but don't. Don't waste your time. The Jesus Seminar. Is that part of the Gnostic? Uh... Yeah, there's a Gnostic collection too that, that's triggered all this. Yeah, so the Nag Hammadi um, was a, a place that they found a bunch of gospels laying around in the 50s. And they were from a Gnostic teacher. So you had a bunch of different gospels. That's where you, you'll hear like the gospel of Judas, the gospel of you know, whatever. Thomas is in there and Judas and Mary Magdalene and all these weird gospels. There's weird books. They're not gospels like these. Okay? Susan. Remind me again about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew being the tax collector? Uh-huh. Matthew and John are, are two of the twelve. But what were they? Uh, Matthew was a tax collector. John was a fisherman. Luke, was he really a physician? He was a physician. Um, not like you would think of a doctor, but he was one who was trained in how to heal the body. But he didn't have like a doctor's office and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, he was trained in the art of healing people's physical bodies. So he was a physician. And Mark was... A rich kid. Uh, apparently a rich kid who ran away naked. I don't know. 
whose first name was actually John. So these are just people, and they they heard about Jesus, came to Jesus, and believed and Yeah, and then wrote down the words of the eyewitnesses. So either they were eyewitnesses themselves who wrote down what they saw and what others talked about, or Mark was attached to the apostle Peter, wrote down Peter's preaching, and Luke was attached to the apostle Paul. Okay? So then you have the all four apostolic idea in there. Okay? So, you should believe about Jesus the words of the scriptures and the testimony of the people contained therein. Okay? When do you believe your pastor? Depends. Depends. <laughs> Only on Sunday. No. Yeah. What authority does your half or ha- pastor have to preach to you? Christ's authority. Office of the keys. Yeah. What's that? Christ's authority. Where do you get Christ's authority from? Office of the keys. That's weird. I don't know what that is. Where does Office of the keys get his authority from? What? Where? Who? What? So I have it. Scripture. <laughs> from Scripture. Office of the Keys is found in Matthew 16, Matthew 18, and John 20, if you need to know. But the point is, your pastor preaches to you the words of Scripture. If he contradicts Scripture, no longer serving as your pastor. Okay? And this is important for the church. The church's authority, we do not now look for new revelations of Jesus. We always stick with the one that we have been given in Scripture, the Old and New Testament revelation of Jesus. Right? Yeah? So here's the cool thing. You can have this revelation every day of your life. It's free. You can download it. I'll buy you one if you can't afford the physical copy. No problem. Right? You have it. I don't know why you're not reading it. It's actually God's Word. You can just take it home with you. Every day. When you're bored, read it. When you're not bored, read it. Before you go to bed at night, read it. When you get up in the morning, read it. Why not? It's God's Word. It's good. Does it make sense? Sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense at all. That's okay. It's okay. I taught my girls stuff that they did not understand when they were little. Huge concepts. Ridiculously large concepts. And they looked at me with their cute little faces. They had no idea what I was talking about. But we didn't say, well, it just isn't true. Don't worry about it. No, we said, you'll figure it out. Just keep, keep listening. And here's the thing. And Oh, boy. Here's the thing. And I'm just going to say this because I'm old now. I used to be young. Now I'm old. Er. <laughs> It'll get worse tomorrow. Don't worry. It gets worse every day. Back in the day, kids used to just memorize for no apparent reason. We just had them memorize stuff. I didn't care if they understood it or not. We just told them to memorize it. 
Well, now we're so concerned with everybody understanding stuff, we don't have anybody memorized anything anymore. Now, when you teach them something you're supposed to understand, they don't know what we're teaching them because they've not memorized anything. So here's the thing. Memorize. I don't care if you understand it. Just get the words in your coconut. Okay? It's wonderful to memorize Scripture. You don't have to understand every word you're memorizing. Just memorize it. This is the whole point of Luther's small catechism. Just memorize it. I don't get it. I don't care. Get the words in your coconut. Because I guarantee you, someday in the next month, you'll have a conversation here and go, oh, okay. That's what, it, that's what Luther meant in explanation of the fifth commandment. I get it. See? Or you'll be witness to somebody and they'll ask you a question. You'll be like, oh, yeah, see, I know that. It's, we should fear and love God so that we, right? And all of a sudden they're like, wow, how'd you know that? You're like, I, yeah, I cheated. I, I, I got this book that I memorized. They're like, really? Yeah. And you say, you want a copy? You want a copy? It's free. I can give it to you, right? Blessed is a man who meditates on the word of the Lord day and night. Try it. Okay? Good. Isaiah 55, 10, 11, which is all about the word of the Lord, right? Go ahead. Read it. It's good stuff. And do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful promise from God. Now, here's the thing. Since we're studying the Gospel of John, what if Jesus is that word, the Father sent forth. Right? Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. See? And so some people have actually read the Gospel of John as a, as a 21 chapter explanation of that verse. Those two verses. That he comes down from the Father and he returns to the Father having accomplished that for which he was sent forth. Right? I've come to do my Father's will. That's what he says. Alright, well that was number two. So there we go. Oh, well. Next week, we'll pick up with number three, I suppose. Okay, any other quick questions before we go? It's not totally my fault. Church went late. And that was it. That's the problem. It was All Saints Day. All right, let's pray. Lord, you have given us your holy scriptures that we might know Jesus and trust in him. So teach us to read your word, to meditate on your word, to trust in your word, and to speak that word with those in our lives, that they too might see the glory of God in the face of Christ. We thank you that even this day you call us saints, because the blood of the Lamb has washed us and cleansed us, and we stand before you holy because of him. So bless us now this day. Let us rejoice in your love and live out our faith in Jesus' name. Thank you all.